groundbreaking research. Cutting edge ideas. The future of society. For inquisitive minds. F-I-M. everyone, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's Ali. And Dupile. And today we got Keegan Shepard with us. Keegan, how's it going? It's not too bad. How are you guys? Yeah, not too bad, Keegan. Not too bad. Good. Good, good. Good, <laughs> good start. In the podcast beginning where you're like, you talk. No, 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 you talk. No, no, you, you talk. <laughs> How is that open? Tell me. Because there's like that moment of silence and you're just like, yo, somebody just fill the silence. I'm so sorry. All right, fine. Okay, Keegan, let's start again. How are you, Keegan? <laughs> I'm all right. How are you? Fantastic. Good. Really happy to um, have you on. Uh, we've been so excited, to be honest with you. A lot of good stuff from Ali about your kind of research. Why don't you, why don't you tell us what your, uh, what your research is, what you're working on? Yeah, of course. So I am looking at the perceptions of patient safety in the NHS ambulance services, which I guess, yeah, that sounds kind of vague. Um, so to give a bit of context... The ambulance services don't really have a deep bench for research when compared to other settings. It's very much a new kind of phenomenon within the ambulance services to actually have uh, research focus from universities and academics. And so a significant amount of the patient safety literature that's out there is based upon data from hospitals and primary care settings, which, as I'm sure you guys are aware, aren't really applicable to the emergency service setting where yeah. people are treating patients at 70 miles an hour, roaming through the London streets, very isolated environments, not seeing management level staff for, I guess, days and weeks at a time, because once they clear a job, the demand is at such a level today, which they get immediately put on a new job. I don't know if you guys have seen that new documentary, the ambulance service one. There's one in the London ambulance service. It's a brilliant on, program. On Channel 4, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think BBC does one too, but yeah, it's so unbelievably good. It was a really yeah, good yeah. show. And so we know that the response time targets and operational type pressures, so for example, having to get to a patient within eight minutes, for example, are a significant focus for the ambulance services. But we don't really know anything else about staff and their perceptions, for example, of patient safety. And that's important because highlighting these attitudes can lead to things. There are improvements in management and the monitoring of patient safety. So if people were to probe for, let's say, significant risks of patient safety, according to staff, you can use that information to then develop strategies, draft policies to address any of those issues that were raised. I kind of, you know, take it for granted. I mean, I think we all do. As you said, you watch the ambulance service, but you don't really think about it that way you know you don't really look beyond in terms of like how the whole process works so it's quite interesting actually uh, hence why we're really excited to hear your insights on on, the, on your whole research and what you're up to and what you're doing that's just dude it's un- unbelievable i can't imagine doing the job that they do it's just ridiculous we no. owe everything to NHS staff. It's, it's a crazy crazy life props to NHS yeah, props, yeah. <laughs> now before we sort of dive into the whole topic and your whole research etc what's your background so yeah i'm not from the ambulance services originally 
I did my undergrad in business with kind of a focus in healthcare economics and finance at the University of Minnesota Duluth. Go Bulldogs. I then moved over to the UK to do my master's in public health at the University of Dundee. I worked briefly at the National Institute for Health Research before then finding this PhD up in the northwest of England. Nice, so I, nice. I bounced around it quite a bit, I guess. And what made you want to do this PhD? Did you see like a, an ambulance go by and you were like, the ambulances? Or was it like... Boys, it was though, boys. Session? I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> know. Right, yeah, Support yeah. me, man. Just... <laughs> no, it's not as good a story as that, to be honest. Um, I think in the US, you get go for a PhD and you get like a year of buffer time where you get to develop a project with a PI. And I think in the UK, it's more yeah, you get attached to a project um, from the get-go because you have three years to do it. It's not very much time. So you have to have the project kind of developed prior to you signing on. And so I got attached to this project who was led by and developed by Professor Sally Spencer and Professor, or Professor uh, Paresh Wankaday at Edgehill University. And so I applied, talked to them, and yeah, they allowed me to be on or leading, I guess, the project. Nice, All right. nice. All right. But so, so like, did you research this topic then or did somebody kind of say, hey, do you want to kind of study this topic? And then you said, you know what, this is interesting. No, I came up and applied for the PhD and you got to rank different topics who were proposed by academic staff within the Faculty of Health. And so I ranked the ambulance service one above the rest because not because I had a prior interest, essentially, but I just preferred it to the other topics that were available, to be completely honest, because I think I view a PhD much more as developing the skills to become an academic and professional researcher rather than becoming an expert in the topic area, because I think although you spend three years of your life on this, the skills that you developed from the PhD are the ones you're going to use on doing your own research going forward into the future, whereas the ambulance um, research is really important, and I'm going to disseminate it as widely as possible through publications. But to be completely honest, after this project is done, I'm probably going to move on to other research areas, to be honest. How does one conduct research on perception? Perceptions, that really aligns itself with qualitative work. So kind of exploring in-depth, complex topics with staff. So through the use of qualitative methods, I think work the best through so focus groups or interviews or observation. And so I've chosen semi-structured interviews. So it's kind of just doing like what you guys are doing. You have kind of a list of prompts to ask me which I used with the ambulance service staff. It's more of a free-flowing conversation, and we can touch upon different topics that they feel are important, or if something comes up in my mind, I can ask about that. Because we have NHS staff surveys that get sent out to tens of thousands of staff within the NHS. Well, I guess all NHS staff, but I forget how many people actually fill it out. But that just provides a snapshot of very quantitative data where it doesn't really, you don't get to explore the underlying factors through kind of survey measure tools like questionnaires. So it's really helpful to actually sit down with people and just explore their perceptions of a topic through interviews rather than just asking them to fill out like yes or no or a Likert scale kind of questions. A bit more hands-on, right? Put it that way, a bit more hands-on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People think it's more touchy-feely, but I think it's just it's specific to the research need at hand, I'd say. You've got to do what you've got to do, I guess. I mean, <laughs> you got to get down and dirty, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, none of that. So quite interesting. Patient safety as a topic, right? Yeah. 
Why aimed at the NHS? I would like to know a bit more about that, really. Well, patient safety. Yeah. So why are you looking into this and why the NHS? What, you know, why is it so important? You know, what's, yeah, what, why is the topic so, so important to you and what do you feel uh, needs to be done? Like I said earlier, not a lot of research exists within the ambulance services. And so the patient safety data we have isn't applicable to this environment. And so we don't really have much to rely on for the ambulance service as of today. And so we are seeing a historic increase in the number of patient safety incidents being recorded by the ambulance services. So I think it's increased. God, I don't have the specific numbers in front of me, but I think it's something like uh, there's an increase in demand at 6.5%, I think, roughly. I'm going to write down that statistic because there's a 6.5% increase in, I guess, people taking ambulances. Yeah, yeah. So demand is increasing at a ridiculous degree every single year. And we don't really know why this is, but we think it's due to things like an aging population, increased chronic illnesses. And particularly, I think what from talking to staff is a, a misconception of what the services are actually for. So you see a lot of patients ringing for things like colds or flus or, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that you wouldn't think warrants an ambulance service response that people are actually ringing in for. And so the ambulance services are kind of changing their care model to become more of a providing social care rather than emergency, kind of like um, emergency care, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Tell me if I'm saying this wrong. Go for it. But I think you're, you're trying to understand why. Yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> I'm kidding. You're trying to understand why why patient safety. So I guess what is patient safety in the context of an ambulance and then why why bother studying it? Because the assumption, I guess, is when you're taking an ambulance, you are in the safest hands possible, right? The ambulance is the most urgent care. It's the highest priority. It, it's got the siren, so it gets you like the fastest of the hospital, which actually is supposed to be the, the golden or the crown of, of actual urgent care. So why bother studying patient safety when you know it's going to be the safest way out? I guess patient safety as a topic really wasn't that hot until about two decades ago when the Institute of Medicine released that report that said like 44 to I think 98,000 patients in the United States died because of medical malpractice. Following that, the report was released. Research began to take off within this area. And so it really hit the UK as well for what you're familiar with, like the mid-staff report. The hospital and mid-staff were, I think, like 1,200 patients died in a hospital due to a combination of like financial pressures, staffing shortages, and a negative organizational culture where people just neglected, I guess, proper care of patients. Although we're making huge strides with uh, medical care and modern healthcare is just unbelievably, the capability of it is just insane compared to what it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. We're still killing a large amount of patients, way more than... Um, what should be actually occurring. And this is due to things like a poor negative um, work culture, for example. So you guys are business guys. You know workplace culture has a huge impact on productivity um, within your specific environment. This also is the case within the healthcare environment. So people kind of get blasé and complacent, and that actually leads – that doesn't lead to – like poor revenue streams, that leads to patients dying. 
And so I think healthcare environments started looking out to like high reliability organizations, I think it's called, like NASA and um, nuclear power plants, because those are organizations that really have to have their shit together and not make a single mistake or else things happen, like the Columbia disaster, um, Three Mile Island. And so they started to learn and pick apart things to increase the level of patient safety or prevention of harm to patients, because no matter how good you get, there's always going to be a risk of patient harm if that makes sense. And so you can never know too much about the perceptions of patient safety because they really illuminate how staff prioritize the level of patient safety within their healthcare environments. If they're being safe within practice, are they reporting patient safety incidents to a good degree? I mean, there's just a ridiculous, it's an exploratory study that I'm doing. So it's kind of just looking to see what's important to staff where their heads are at, what they're looking at, and how that's having an impact on patient safety. I'm trying to get my head around it. Like, how do you, how do you even look to solve, you know, this? And as you said, it's been there for like what twenty dec- decades, and you've been looking into what well, they've been doing some research around it. What happens after? You know, what can staff do? Um, what can we do? The society as a society. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the future because I think the NHS is getting to a point where demand is rising to a point where people are just going to have to continually increase the budget and develop new kind of alternative care models for patients. But as a society, I would say, I guess, stop ringing ambulances for every single issue and just kind of save it because one, an ambulance going to me, if I were to like throw out my back, for example that's going to take away an ambulance from an older person that might have fallen on the ground and it's been on the ground for four hours because they're a low priority according to their algorithm within the I think call taking framework. So within societal measures, I guess, yeah, calling ambulances less. But within research, I think any research that's being done today is, especially in the ambulance services, is foundational in kind of providing the basis for future research going forward. And so my research is qualitative, so it doesn't really have a huge impact on kind of clinical practice, I would say, because it's not like a randomized control trial. It's not testing an intervention or anything like that. But what my research will set, it'll set like a framework for people developing maybe survey measure tools to test perceptions of patient safety that kind of really illustrates perceptions on a nationwide level rather than mine, which is more um, local based within three trusts in England. But I've just interviewed 44 staff, whereas if you could develop a survey measure tool to test everything that I've discussed and found to be important, you could, I guess, hypothetically set it out to 30,000 members of staff within the services. Quite interesting. And how long would that take? And I guess this is really just about trying to figure out how to raise the awareness, right? How to... Yeah, it's shifting. I think I think people still view the ambulance services as kind of the younger brother of the healthcare setting, and they don't view it as really kind of an area where you can get proper clinical care. I mean, even academics, I was speaking to someone within the faculty a couple of weeks ago, and they described paramedics as ambulance drivers. And that's just like, you, dude, you don't do that. That's These are extremely knowledgeable and clinically trained individuals who are on par with nurses. I mean, they're working in GP clinics now. And so it's just understanding that paramedics are providing us an incredibly important healthcare service. And they are now going through three-year degrees. They're doing masters. They're increasingly younger. And yeah, clinically capable, I'd say, because now I think they're even prescribing now. 
maybe that's advanced paramedics um, and senior paramedics, but yeah, they're even yeah prescribing. So their clinical skill set is growing, but we just need to acknowledge that, I guess, as a society as well. So when you when you talk about perceptions, is it the perception of the paramedic staff or general healthcare staff, or is it the perception of other patients? On their own safety. A lot of studies, I guess, look primarily at one like care role or staffing level. So they'll primarily interview paramedics, for example. But on a whole, when I was developing this study, I mean, everyone's got an influence on patient safety, don't they? And so I've kind of categorized staff as executives, uh, management and operational level. And I've interviewed each of those in kind. And so I've discussed um, these patient safety issues with what chief execs and middle managers and operational staff, including paramedics and call handlers, just to kind of get their perceptions. And I mean, if I were to interview patients, that would be an entirely different study, I guess, altogether. Forgive me for, for sounding ignorant, but isn't it obvious that patient safety ratings would be the lowest or perceptions of patient safety ratings would be the lowest in ambulances because that's where things are most dire and that's where you feel almost the most helpless to actually help the patient out? That is a really good point. It's usually emergency care situations. So people that are about to die would be kind of the idea behind it. But the studies have been done with users and service users of the ambulance services and they actually rate their care. I think it was like 98% of patients in the UK. So the NHS Ambulance Services said that they felt safe in the hands of paramedics. So we view the ambulance services as a very, very safe organization. And um, whereas they might not rate that for maybe A&E departments or hospitals on a whole, but we know even A&E staff, I think, rate the perceptions of patient safety higher than uh, paramedics and um, management level staff and executive level staff in the ambulance services. So we don't really know why this is, but I guess further research is necessary to explore it and just to kind of find out why. Because I guess you need proof behind research, don't you? We can't just think that like, oh, obviously it's going to be this way, um, if that makes sense. Just to push back and, and to expose how ignorant I am about this whole space. No, no, feel free. Go ahead. If, if I'm in an ambulance, I kind of already have a sense that I'm going to be taken to a better place of care. So this this ambulance is really a transition. And in that transition, I know I'm going to get not the greatest level of patient safety in order for me to get to a hospital where I can get patient safety. In, in, in my mind, I know that when I get into a, an ambulance, it might not be the safest place. It's a, it's a very small vehicle. There's maybe two or three people in the back. All the tools and necessary equipment needed are not definitely there. The people that are in the ambulance are not specialists um, in terms of all the conditions, but they're very, very good generalists to help me out. So I kind of know that I'm not going to feel the most safe there, but it's going to take me to a safer spot, which is where it gets the the comparison could actually be made. Is that they'll reassure you, essentially? Yeah, Yeah. Wouldn't you say that, obviously, patient safety ratings or perceptions of patient safety should be lower in ambulances versus in hospitals? Yeah, I I kind of see what you're saying. I think the perception of patients is that if they call an ambulance, they're going to the hospital where they think that they're going to get treated. As I, I'm, you guys must be aware, it's in the news constantly. Like A&E departments have these handover times where people are waiting in A&E departments with horrible injuries for like four hours at a time, and so it's really. And there's usually like three ambulance service, like ambulance vehicles, 
outside of these A&E departments, just waiting with patients to hand them over to the care teams. So I think we're trying to change the perceptions of patients saying like, hey, if you call an ambulance, it doesn't mean you're going to the hospital. We have clinically capable and knowledgeable staff here to treat you on scene if that is going to be required. But not everyone is going to be taken to the hospital just because it's not feasible anymore. We can't, like 20 years back, ambulance paramedics would just sit around in the station, kind of like firemen waiting to be called. Whereas now, there's too much service demand. And so people, the pressures on the NHS as a whole are too large. And so they're changing the model to care for patients and not convey them to these hospitals. So we need, we need to explore these perceptions of staff as the model is shifting towards more bespoke clinical treatment on scene rather than just taxiing them and ferrying patients from the site of the injury to the hospital. The whole model shifting to actually provide care as like a clinical unit. Sorry, ambulances are now kind of just mini hospitals is the idea of where that's shifting. Where in the past it used to be they were just seen as an Uber to take the patients to the hospital. So the model is shifting. We need to capture these thoughts as this model shifting to kind of gather what staff are thinking about um, during this shift. Interesting thoughts there. So I'm just kind of interested to find out what's been the feedback. You know, uh, interviewed uh, a number of... 44, yeah, 44, right? sorry. People, yeah. yeah. Um, what, what's, what's been the... What stood up, what, what has stood up for you, essentially, from interviewing? Uh, I think the perceptions, we didn't know much before, but it was usually typically negative. Like I said, when compared to other care settings, there are more so negative Nancys when compared to the state of patient safety than nurses or physicians. As these, the College of Paramedics has kind of instituted all of these shifts for, so paramedics are now becoming expected to have degree level qualifications in paramedic science. They increasingly have masters and some even have PhDs now. And so... I think the state of patient safety, according to the participants that I interviewed, is incredibly different to what it was even two years ago. There are studies in the at least the helicopter emergency medical services where the state of patient safety was pretty poor comparatively to the other healthcare settings. And so my research, I guess, is kind of... It's biased in a way because I'm interviewing people that are volunteering themselves, and so they're already going to be a bit more interested in research and kind of progressing the services in generally than someone just that I'm not going to be able to research because they're not going to be interested in talking to me for an hour, if that makes sense. Um, but what I'm finding is that people think the state of patient safety is much better than it was even just two years ago, but especially five years, 10 years, 20 years ago in the past. Have you sat in an ambulance and uh, and watched the, the whole kind of process Dude, go down? Oh, man. I have a really good friend. He's a paramedic um, from Poland, and he works in the ambulance services. He's also a lecturer here. And he's offered this to me so many times, but I just haven't had, I guess, the time yet to go do it because he wants to do like a 12-hour shift where I sit with him and, I guess, watch him give care to not emergency style patients, but patients just, I think, needing a chat or something like that. I have not done that and I need to do it. I have six months left of this PhD. So I need to, that's, I'm going to write a note, actually. I need to capitalize on that opportunity. Well, <laughs> that's a good call. Thank you. I, yeah, well, I, I actually I actually have a friend who's also a Polish paramedic, um, if you wanted that intro. And he's actually switching. He's leaving the paramedic field to go and study um, economics just because he says it's too stressful. I don't know if, that, if that's useful. I guess I guess that's something that's holding you about, the stress of it or? 
you just haven't had the time to do it. No, I mean, maybe I'm just lazy, but now it's getting to a point where it's like, it's right up time. I have three chapters to finish. And yeah, I you, you get pulled in different directions, I guess, and you kind of prioritize. And so I haven't been as good as I should have been, and I need to take them up. But that's so incredibly interesting. There's We're sourcing, especially in London, I think London Ambulance Service Trust has like 500 Australian paramedics. So we're getting to a point where we need more and more staff, and we don't have enough within the UK. So we're having to go, well, Europe, the States, Canada, particularly Australia. For So we keep saying we don't have enough. What num- you know, What are we looking at? numbers wise like how many more do we need what can you see what's the vision what can you see for the next 10 years i'm not very optimistic with it i know it's getting safer and paramedics are really benefiting and patients are from people having uh, three degrees that are treating them but i think the model is shifting to a point where we're training paramedics to deal with 10 percent of cases whereas a majority of like 90 percent of the cases that they're dealing with are m- mainly like lower emergency or social care kind of work so we're not training paramedics well at least i've talked to some executive level staff who think we're not training paramedics correctly and education is educating them for just purely emergency style services which is already kind of antiquated it's as the services are shifting so we need to kind of redevelop the education system to train paramedics to deal with things that are happening more on a regular basis rather than on emergency style basis if that makes sense don't i'm not super optimistic just because the demand is rising to such a degree where it's not really sustainable i mean we have an aging population for the uk we're just like any other western western style country aging populations are kind of consuming most of our healthcare resources and as well as people increasingly calling the ambulance services and 111 who are then directing them for or to the 999 services even if that wasn't their primary if they didn't want an ambulance sometimes the 111 has some triggers that call an ambulance for them i think we just need to kind of redevelop the style or the kind of the algorithm for dealing with calls we need to have people that are maybe aren't trained paramedics but can deal with the 90 percent of the calls that are now the norm that are coming represented by patients whereas now we can let we can keep like reserve the paramedics that we have today for the emergency style cases and kind of i mean this isn't my area whatsoever but it's just with the demand rising at such a rate things are definitely going to have to shift before i guess I mean, not implodes, but it's just, it's too much of a negative impact on the services, really. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I guess just to, to close this whole topic off, what what are some things? How, how can the care model change? How can, we talked about how society should change. And so definitely not calling the ambulance unless it's like necessary. Is there like a middle ground? Can we create like a little car that goes around and just takes care of like smaller services or whatnot for people? Uh, who are like sick or who just need like temporary care is there maybe like a a mid-stop hospital that we can like train maybe not necessarily nurses like i'm just i'm just spitballing ideas at you but what is the evolution of the care one idea not 20 i was i was gonna i was gonna list out all my ideas so the people listening could start a company and i could get 10 (laughs) start a private ambulance service company ali and upila ambulance services keegan you you want to know you can can study the third musketeer Do, um, they were emphasized to the degree where people had to meet patients within a time 
a time limit of eight minutes, for example. Whereas if the patient died, but they got there at seven minutes, 59 seconds, that was considered a success by their model. Whereas if they, they got there at like eight minutes and three seconds and the patient lived, that would be um, a negative tick against the trust. I think that is shifting now, but they used to have cars that were sent out to these patients even when an ambulance was still needed, just so they could record that they got there in time. And so they'd send a car, um, they'd record that they were there within three minutes or something like that, but then they'd have to just wait with the patient while an ambulance service or an ambulance um, vehicle came and met them and took them to hospital. I think you're really correct in the sense that we need to have some other kind of um, service delivery system that can treat these patients that don't really require an emergency response. They don't need to go to hospital. They just need um, to be treated on site by a clinically knowledgeable. It doesn't have to be a paramedic. It could be even like an, a nurse amongst the ambulance, but they that they don't require surgery. They don't require um, a hospital visit or an A&E visit. But yeah, it needs to be shifted to that 90% of cases where patients just require to be treated on scene or dealt with and or signposted, really. Because a lot of these cases that par uh, paramedics, particularly, who talk to me, would say that they were dealing with an increasing amount of mental health cases. And they weren't really trained to know what to deal or to do with these patients. And so they'd signpost them to... 111 or some other medical or mental health kind of service, but they wouldn't know if these patients were actually seen or dealt with. And so they kind of, the paramedics, according to the interviews, just felt helpless in the situation because they weren't trained to deal with mental health um, cases. And that's just one example. There's a lot of other like patient, um, whatever the patient's presenting with, that they aren't actually like trained or educated to deal with. And so they just need to be given the tools and resources to actually signpost these patients or even, I mean, if paramedics were treated or trained to deal with mental health cases, I think that would be incredibly useful for the NHS and ambulance services on an international basis, really, because mental health cases and mental health as a whole is becoming such a huge part of the NHS. It's incredibly important. And it was neglected for the past forever until what the past 10 years it's, it's sad and it's crazy and, and you know there's parts of the world that still neglect mental health like uh, i was brought up in pakistan and i know that like in india pakistan bangladesh sri lanka there's not ever been a word in our language for like mental health or depression like we we literally just say you are sad if you are depressed and like you know when you interview people and you're like hey are you depressed i'll just be like yeah i get sad from time to time but like it doesn't really like convey the the mental anguish or anxiety that they Taking away just kind of like what, what you said, so you talked about new metrics. I, I think there definitely needs to be a, a better way to measure uh, the care model here. And then you talked about like potentially a, a middle ground service or a new kind of service that takes care of ambulances. What's interesting is like I, I work at Babylon Health and we do a lot of like telemedicine work. Um, and I know from Babylon and from the U.S. data that I've seen, there's only been about a 2% uptake of people that use telehealth services. So only 2% of the population, both in the UK and in the US, actually go off and, and physically call a doctor or see a doctor via video. And I think that goes back to this, this idea that you really want to see a person, um, even if your condition is like very small and very minor, very minor. And I think that's kind of why ambulances are being called because you you get that sense of somebody's going to come over, somebody's going to take care of me. And if I have a cold or if I have like a very small symptom, somebody will see me and make me feel healthy and happy again. Um, it's unfortunate, but I think they're definitely that, that human nature that starts to develop, especially with the aging population, I think is going to start to create opportunities for private health insurance or sorry, private health ambulance services or whatnot to come about. 
Yeah. Uh, or, or maybe or maybe another type of model. I don't know. Maybe I'm just talking no, about No, that was good. Uh, thanks. Oh. Very smart. Um, <laughs> Thank you for your insight, Ali. <laughs> that awkward pause silence, eh? Did you hear that? Like, okay, then. Right, back to you. No, no, that was brilliant. I, yeah, I, I know, like, people do want to see a, a person, I think. But, yeah, that's. Uh, I think we're going to have to – we're going to be seeing some very interesting things going forward with uh, what telehealth services, people being treated from their home behind a desktop or, like, medics are prescribing the patients with certain or any medication that they need just to avoid them going into the GP and consuming those services. I think, yeah, it's going to be really interesting in the next, what, 10 years. There's your vision. There you go. Yeah. 10 years. Hopefully we'll see that. Oh, definitely. <laughs> we must. I think we, we're seeing it today, aren't we? Yeah, definitely. In, in bits and pieces and a lot of the, the Western countries. Do you guys deal sure. with that in Babylon? Not, not so much. Um, we do have bits and pieces of like urgent care that take place. And we do see a lot of, a lot of our members or patients just wanting like minor symptom care. But I would say like 60 to 70% of our cases have to do with more visual symptoms. I think if you have like a skin rash or something, you'll see somebody calling in. Whereas if you have something a little bit more serious, you'll probably go and see your GP. But I think that that attitude again is going to start to change. No, it's brilliant. I think the NHS needs to kind of, yeah, get the innovative kind of things from people like you and companies like Babylon just to redevelop and um, change the service model. Agreed. Agreed. I think that's a good place to end it off. Do you have anything, any shout outs you want to make anything you want to say this, this might be broadcasted to the entire world. <laughs> Who knows? To the master. <laughs> no, I I just think it's an incredibly important area to research. I think we're seeing the very beginning of this research in the ambulance services, and so it's just going to grow from here. I think we're facing some of the largest difficulties ever as a health system in the NHS, be it with budgetary cuts, um, user service demand growing. And so I think it's just going to take some incredibly smart people, not not me, but people at government level and other like professors and um, high level academic researcher, researchers to come up with innovative solutions. We're just going to have to change the way we think, I think, to deal with the future demand and future problems that we, we might not even know exist yet. But yeah, thanks for letting me talk to you guys. It was really good, even though it's nine in the morning or ten in the morning now, and I need another coffee. It was really nice. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, we we appreciate your time, and and obviously, uh, I don't know if you want to give a shout out to uh, Edge. Hill All University. right, Edge Hill University, amazing uni. I think we just had the next round close for uh, graduate teaching assistantship. But if you want to, yeah, inquire about an MRes or a PhD in the future, yeah, feel free to. Visit our website. Provide this, this plug. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Nice, nice, nice. We're going to sign off from here. Thanks so much. Yeah, for your thank time you guys. I'll see you later. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Check out our page at patreon.com slash for inquisitive minds. Reach out to us, check out our episodes, and, and stay in touch. Check it out.